Hi, everyone. Welcome to Flock Talk. I'm Erin Morgan. And I'm Tom Lewis. And we work for the farmer members of the Ontario Sheep Farmers Organization. This week, the topic is education, and we will be interviewing OSF producer Ted Skinner from OSF District 7 near Bowmanville in Durham County. Ted and his wife are also recipients of the 2023 Outstanding Shepherd Award. Thank you for joining us, Ted. Ted, it's a pleasure having you on the podcast. Good morning. It's a pleasure having you on the podcast. You're no stranger to the world of sheep as you and your wife have produced sheep for several years. You've also presented represented Ontario on the Canadian Sheep Breeders Association. And if I'm correct, you're the third generation of your family to represent Ontario at the CSBA. That's a, that's a lot. That's amazing. Tell us a little about your farm. How many years have you been in production and what got you started? Okay, excellent. Um, I'm actually the fifth generation uh, on this farm. Um, and uh, my great-grandfather, uh, there's always been a history of, of purebred sheep uh, sales on this farm. Uh, so it's it's not something that was new to me by any means. Uh, my great-grandfather, um, just as a side note, um, showed Shropshire sheep. Uh, which you don't see very much of anymore, uh, at the first Royal Agricultural Winter Fair, hmm. which celebrated its 100th anniversary last year. And so we decided we took a few Charlets up to the Royal last year and showed them in the 100th uh, anniversary of the Royal. So we just we, we haven't shown sheep for many, many years, and we have a closed flock. So it was the first time we'd done something like that. But we thought just because of the 100th anniversary, it was something we should do. Um, as I mentioned, there's been a, a history of, of selling purebred breeding stock on the farm ever since it was uh, basically started. Um, my great-great-grandfather had Shropshire's. Uh, then as, as time progressed, uh, we had Oxford's. Um, my father had North Country Cheviots, uh, showed them across Canada. And uh, then eventually we got into uh, the Rideau and Charlet breeds. Um, at one time, uh, my father was fairly active in the hog industry, and, and he actually showed um, Berkshires, or sold and sold breeding stock, Berkshires, Durox, and Yorkshire swine. So um, it goes back quite a ways. Um, I purchased my first um, purebred sheep in, in 1988, um, and they came down from British Columbia from a well-known breeder out there, and we started a small North Country Soviet flock. Um, Cedar Creek Charlet started in um, 1994-95 when we had the opportunity to become involved with the Charlet breed. That's a bit of a history of of our background. Well, very interesting, and thank you for sharing that with us. Um, I mentioned as well earlier that you and your wife were um, recipients of the Outstanding Shepherd Award, and I know one of the questions that we get asked often about uh, about those recipients is, um, what do you attribute to your success? I guess number one might be longevity. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a when I looked at some of the names on 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 the award uh, on the big plaque uh, it is kind of humbling in a way to uh, to see uh, some of the other people that were that were on there and were very progressive in the industry um, for us selling breeding stock it's a, it's a very competitive 
business. Um, so you, it, it's it's not quite as laid back as maybe the general or uh, commercial process of just uh, producing market lambs. Mind you, everybody wants to do the best job that they possibly can. But um, if you're if you're going to sell breeding stock, you better be be competitive. Um, and for us, uh, we eventually basically got into selling terminal sires. And uh, the opportunity came along that uh, we could get into the Charlet business. And I'd never actually seen a Charlet sheep. Um, and this was in 94, I guess it was. And I was approached by um, the O'Mara for sheep specialist at the time and uh, advised that the University of Guelph had been doing some embryo research with sheep and they were basically studying just how embryos um how the transfer of embryos from from uh, the british isles to canada uh, and the survivability of the embryos and, and and what was involved with it and everything and, and i'm not sure why they picked the charlet breed to bring embryos in but that's what happened and they were fairly impressed with the with the live uh, uh charlets uh, from the embryos but they the university didn't want to be involved with the, in the breeding business uh, so for some reason um i was contacted uh, we were contacted and uh, to see if we'd be interested in taking it on at that point in time terminal sires were were sort of unheard of in the in the sheep industry um i have a bit of a background in the swine industry too so i was a bit more familiar with the idea of of terminal sires and certainly in the beef industry terminal sires were talked about so um it was kind of intriguing and um we talked to a few people about it and um, decided to put our foot in the water and, and see what happened um because we were bringing um there were no charlets in the country at that time so because we were bringing the frozen embryos in we had to find recipient use to put um we we had a we already had a flock but we knew the uh, embryo charlets that were coming in were going to have a very high health status so we we decided to set up a, a separate facility to start with until we got rid of our older flock and uh, try and maintain that high health status so we uh we enrolled on the medivisna program uh we were already on the genovis program um, or what was previously known as SPIP in Ontario. So um, we had a handle on, on the testing side of it. And uh, so I, I guess we were probably the leaders for the for the Charlet breed in Ontario and one of the leaders for the Charlet breed in all of Canada. There were people in Alberta and British Columbia that had also imported embryos about the same time. So... Um, I guess maybe that's we were uh, and we were involved uh, with the OLIBS program that was happening about then too. Although the terminal sire part of that program really never got going uh, because OLIBS sort of went by the wayside, I guess you'd say. Anyway, that's I think maybe that's why we um, were got the award uh, was the introduction of the Charlet breed in the province. Well, definitely. So can you tell us a little bit more about that? How did that play out? You in, you brought the uh, embryos over to Ontario, and what did the Charlet breed bring to the Ontario sheep flock? Um, the 
bringing in the frozen embryos was a totally new uh, ball game for us. It was something that we had to learn about. Um, the survivability when you thaw frozen embryos out is about 50%. So um, you've got to buy two, em- two frozen embryos to get one live lamb. Um, so it's, um, it's a little harsh on that end of it. So the initial group that we brought in was 20, um, 20 frozen embryos, and we got 10 lambs out of that. Unfortunately, we got six rams and only four females. So we were hoping for a lot more females, but that's just the way it goes. Um, and then we brought in another group of embryos a year later. And from those embryos, then we, uh, that was a different bloodline, and we crossed them, and then with bringing in more semen, um, from then on, uh, we were able to keep the bloodlines going, but you basically had to go back to England about every three years and, and pick up more semen or more often than that, even if possible. Um, and we did share a lot of, uh, the importation of semen with a breeder in Alberta and half diamond farms and, uh, who, uh, was a veterinarian and, and did, uh, AI and embryo transfer work. So we worked very closely with him to, when we were importing semen. Um, the, the breed itself, the Charlais, is, as I said, a terminal sire breed, um, uh, quite well muscled and uh, noted for their rapid growth rate, uh, which is, uh, in my mind, a fairly fairly important uh, trait to have. A lot of our uh, sheep commercial sheep operations in the province are uh, in confinement and they want to keep the numbers moving fairly quickly because they've got more lambs coming around be- along behind them. So a, a, a fairly rapid uh, growth rate is, is quite important to them to get the lambs out the door and get them to market. Um, so it, it's one of, it's, it, the Charlet is one of uh, several terminal sire breeds. There's the Ile de France, there's the Suffolk, there's the Texel, um, there's the Hampshire, um, and I probably missed somebody, but, um, our biggest probably competition is the Ile de France right now. The Suffolk has always been a, been a constant, I guess, in the industry too. So, um, we've been very impressed with the breed. Um, the people in, uh, England, uh, in that, uh, run the Charlet Association over there are very, uh, tuned in to perform, performance animals and genetics and improving the breed. So um, it, it's very helpful when we go to select uh, sires to bring uh, semen in from. So my understanding is during the early 2000s, the Rideau-Arcot breed was added to your expanding flock. Can you tell us a little bit about why you chose that breed? Um, it, it was almost... <laughs> Not quite by accident. Um, it was a breed uh, that my wife sort of got interested in. Um, we were also, um, at that point, we were purchasing a ram from from uh, a flock in, um, no, I need to go back a bit farther than that. Um, because of the Olibs program and we had the Charlais, um, we also were thinking about uh, um, making F1 females. And uh, so we uh, went out and we purchased uh, 12 uh, Rito U lambs from um, a fairly well-known Rito breeder, Swinger, who is not with us anymore, but was one of the top 
Rito breeders in the country. And uh, actually, he was a previous secretary manager for uh, Ozma at that time. Um, so we purchased uh, those 12 ewe lambs from Francis, and we actually bred them to a Dorset ram to sell um, F1 females. And I guess we realized uh, fairly quickly that um, we didn't ask him for the best that he had in the flock, but I think he probably sent us some pretty good ones. That uh, they were real good mothers, real good ewes, and uh, so we had uh, Charlay Ram coming down from a flock in Alberta from Ian Clock Medicine Ridge Farm, who was one of the top Charlay breeders in the country, but he was also one of the top Rito breeders in the country, and uh, we asked him if he would uh, throw in a Rito Ram when he was sending the Charlay Ram to to us. He had a high house status too, so that was important for us when we were purchasing. Um, any breeding stock if we weren't using semen. So we brought that ram down and, and we bred him to Francis's ewes and, and lo and behold, we had some um, some very nice looking animals confirmation wise and, and excellent uh, working on the Genovis program, excellent numbers. So that's how our flock got started. And, and then we, uh, from there when we needed a ram, um, we uh, went into Quebec for several rams, and uh, then we went down to Prince Edward Island to purchase rams. So we've purchased uh, Rito rams from right across the country, and as, as you would probably be aware, it's an artificially created breed. So there are no new bloodlines out there. So it's you have to be fairly diligent in trying to find, when you're looking for a ram, to find something that's not related to what you already have. And even more so when you're you're wanting to sell breeding stock, I guess. So we actually at one point um, sent. Um, now this was Charlet Rams, but at the same time we were we took some Rito Rams down for another Rito breeder in Ontario by the name of someone you might recognize, Bill McCutcheon, to uh, an AI station in um, La Pocatera, Quebec, and uh, we had semen drawn from our uh, Charlet Rams and stored in frozen forests, and Bill was getting the same done with his Rito rams. So so that's that's about the only avenue we have to sort of maintain some of the some of the genetics for the Rito breed that um, there are no new genetics coming along except for the, for the lines that we have now that we can crisscross. Uh, yes, I think yeah. that's... <laughs> so that's um, a good origin story what? to your flock. Um, what does your flock look like today? What are your breeding goals? Um, our flock today is, is basically what you would call a, a hobby flock, probably. Um, age is caught up with us, so we are sort of winding down. Um, we have about 20, uh, ewes right now. Um, when we were running sort of full tilt, we had about 150 breeding ewes, 100 Charlet ewes, which made us one of the largest flocks in the country, and about 50 Rito ewes, which you need more than 50 Rito ewes if you're going to be a really serious, um, Rito breeder. But anyway, we're down to about 20 ewes right now. Uh, it, it's more just playing around with some of the genetics that we have to just see what we can do. Um, I thought we wouldn't have any sheep by now, but I'm having a hard time not having some to play with. I enjoy the genetic end of it, trying to make an improvement. And we're sitting on about 400 straws of semen at East Gen. So I'm going to try and use up some of that. Certainly won't be able to use it all up. But um, I'm going to play with some of the older genetics that we have. Um, 
and just see how they perform. We also have some some newer semen that we've brought in too that we can that we can work with. So we're going to be a very we're going to be a boutique uh, operation, I guess uh, you would say. But um, and and I guess I didn't mention that before. Ninety nine percent of our market is to commercial producers. We sell very there are very few purebred Charley breeders in the country, let alone the province. So there, there's not much for market there. Um, so I think that's what keeps us honest. We, we have to supply a ram to the market uh, that the commercial guy wants and can use and is going to make money for him. So that's, that's kept us on our toes. And that's what we're going to try and do for a few more years anyway until um, I'm not able to do it, I guess. So let's um, pivot a bit and speak about record keeping and how you track progress or how you've tracked progress within your flock over time. Any insight you can share with us? Okay. Yes, um, we're we're very strong believers in um, you can't manage what you don't measure, mm-hmm. um, and that falls into the background of of, of all purebred species of livestock. Uh, we were originally with our sheep, we were on the old federal ROP program with the sheep. Um, and, and then, um, that kind of disappeared in SFIP, which was run by the Ontario government, Biomafra. And we were on that all the time that it was going on. And, and then that got sort of privatized, I guess you would say, and it's Genovis now. And, but we are very strong believers in that. It's, 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 one of the best tools with, that we have for selection of animals. It's not the only tool by any means, but I think um, you have to have numbers, especially if you're selling terminal sires, um, and we're and we're we're selling them, claiming that they have great growth rate and and muscling ability, and we have the ability to track their growth rates when we take a 50-day weight and a 100-day weight. And uh, we can ultrasound scan them for a fat depth and a loin depth. So um, then we can we can give the buyer uh, solid, hard information on on the number side of it, and and the confirmation is there in front of them. And um, a lot of the commercial producers in in the province um, are coming into the uh, industry and, and maybe aren't that familiar with the evaluation of livestock. So I, I, I think it, it helps them if we have the Genovis numbers, uh, there to, to make their selection on rams when they, when they come to buy. And again, it's the same with the, with the Rito breed on the maternal side, uh, 50 day weights are the, probably the most important number to be looking at is how productive that ewe is and how she, uh, feeds those lambs up to weaning time. And, uh, so again, it's, it's, it's an important number for the, uh, for the commercial producer. The other thing that we have, uh, we've tried to maintain a closed flock. We used to show some of our purebred sheep before we got the Charlais, but once the Charlais came in with a quote unquote higher health status, we tried to maintain that. So any animal that left the farm uh, could not come back to the farm unless they went into an isolation and quarantine period and then were retested. Uh, we've been on the Medivisna program for probably 20 years now. Um, it's not a perfect program, but um, it's 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 a way to try to identify some of the issues with the Medivisna uh, health issue, and uh, we we firmly believe uh, that it's a good program. I, I'm not there are some issues, 
but uh, hopefully down the road we can get some of those solved. So um, yeah, I, health is an extremely important thing, and and then just to basically, um, if you if you're going to claim that an animal has a great growth rate, you better be able to prove it with some good hard numbers. Yeah, and when it comes to those good hard numbers, so if you're a producer who doesn't typically make a big investment in their rams uh, that they're purchasing. What would you tell them as to uh, what the return on investment would be of making an investment in maybe a higher cost well, ram? Yes, um, the price certainly the price of rams has 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 gone up since we started the business, um, and uh, rightfully so. Leave. I'm sure some commercial there's commercial men out there that come in and, and don't quibble about the price that I ask for rams at all. There's very few commercial people that come anymore, and when I tell them what the price is, they just turn around. Or before they even get there, I tell people what my prices are going to be, and uh, you know they won't even bother coming to the farm. I don't. I get very few of those anymore now. I think most commercial people have realized that if if you want to do a good job, you better be able be prepared to spend some money on your ram side. The ram is half of your flock, so. Uh, a good terminal sire ram and a terminal sire means that all of the offspring from that ram are going to market. So you don't have to worry about the ram breeding daughters or anything like that. So if all of his, his offspring is terminal and they go to market, you should be able to keep that ram around for five or six years, five years anyway. So if you've got a decent number of commercial use that you're breeding that ram to all the time, um, he's not going to cost you very much money, I think. And, uh, we're we're selling a product that is performance tested with the Genovas program. We're selling a product that has some kind of a health status with it. Uh, you're getting a, a pedigree with it, and you're getting the performance certificate from Genovas. Um, and 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 there are extra costs for us involved to do that, but that's the kind of product we want to sell. Um, I do get a little frustrated sometimes, and I, and I know what happens because there's a lot of I don't know what to say backyard sheep operations or just smaller hobby farms where people are on Facebook or whatever and they want to trade a ram or do something like that. But um, it's if, if you're really serious about the business, I think you, you should be trying to sell the best the best rams that you can possibly produce. And as a commercial person, you want to buy the best rams. We were in Quebec just last week uh, down east of uh, Quebec City, about 100 miles talking to a Rito breeder and he was telling me, and he's one of the top Rito breeders in Canada, not just Quebec. And he was telling me that a lot of his top scoring rams on Genovis and what he considers are his top rams are, are going to commercial people. Um, and, you know, some of the purebred people maybe aren't getting to them in time or they're getting snapped up earlier by commercial people because they're looking for the best rams that they can and they know they will pay. So I'm not giving you tech. I'm not giving you actual numbers because I'm I'm not quite on top of that. But I I do know that I've got commercial people that um, don't has either my prices are too low or and I don't think they're too low. Um, but uh, they're willing to pay it because they can see the returns on it. Thank you. So you spoke about marketability, and maybe that's a good way to segue into this next question. Do you work directly or have you worked directly with processors to learn about performance of your lambs when it comes to marketability? Um, we we have not 
worked directly ourselves very much because um, if you're in the purebred business, um, your best animals hopefully are, are sold as purebreds. You don't all, you know, not every animal is going to be sold as a, as a marketable as a ram, though. You're going to get some cull animals, mm-hmm. but they tend not to be your best animals. So, um, and the other thing is we don't have the size or the volume to be, to be involved in some of the marketing programs that are out there that I think are, are excellent programs for people who have a, have a good sized flock. It's a great way to sort of know what you're going to be getting for your product down the road. And it's a, and the other thing is you're getting in some, in some of the cases and some of the marketing programs, you're getting paid for the quality that you're producing. If you send your, your lambs to just the stockyards, the buyers certainly will get to know your product after a while and they'll probably premium, but um, you're not actually paid for the quality of the lamb. Um, Northumber lamb in Nova Scotia um, is all those lambs are rail graded and the producer is paid on the quality of those lambs. Our industry will never reach its maximum potential until most of the lambs in the country are rail graded. And I mean, that's, that happens in the hog industry. It happens in the beef industry. And, and someday, hopefully, we will see that in the sheep industry. And, and that will make a lot of other things happen a lot easier. But we, uh, we just had in our district seven a hoof-to-hook um, display, I guess you would say, a week or so ago. And that's very informative for producers where we, we go one evening and we look at the live animals. And then we come back in a couple of days, um, a week later, I guess it was, and we see those lambs on the rail. So there were some uh, lambs that were sired by Charlet rams that were in that competition. So it's good to see that what you're, you know, what you're telling people is happening is actually there on the rail. Um, we've had some in the past. We have put some purebred charlets into some market lamb competitions and done fairly well uh but i'm a firm believer in the commercial man isn't going to be producing purebred charlets he's going to be producing um uh, an f1 or an f2 market lamb so uh, i like to see the people that buy my rams uh and have them on their commercial use um, then then uh, have them in some kind of a competition or just see them on the rail to see what's available. I, I do know that when we did send call market lambs even just to the stockyard, so the buyers got to know those animals after a couple of groups would go through, and uh, we always would get a premium for what were our call animals at that time. So I, I guess that kind of answers your question. Thanks, Ted. Um what other things like so you we've talked about genetics we've talked about um your high health status what else do you think contributes to the success of a sheep producer or a sheep breeder like yourself well i i i think any producer out there that wants to be successful um and we were lucky we were able to um when we were growing up, I had the history of our own farm, although I think some of the things that we did, uh, my father or my grandfather certainly would never have thought of anything like frozen embryos. But if you can find a mentor, and if you can find more than one mentor, um, 
that can give you some guidance. I think the other thing is you've got to, when you start off, you've got to know what it is you want to do. And and lots of times we don't always know which way we want to go and, and we may change midstream, but, but have some kind of a plan that you can focus on and that you're working towards. That is extremely helpful. Um, get on when you're first starting, get on all of the programs that are available out there, like Genovis, like a, a Made Vision program or whatever. These programs are easier to get onto and understand when you have a smaller flock and can get a handle on it. And then as your flock expands, it's it's much easier to to carry on with it. And it and it is a great aid in expanding your flock then if you're on Genovas. You know which are the use that you want to keep for replacements. Um, and, and getting on a Made Vision program is much cheaper when you have a small number of animals. Um, and then you can, it, it means then you have to be careful where you buy your replacements from, or if you make them yourself, that's not an issue, but where you buy your, your rams from, it also has to be someone that's on a Made Vision program, or you can isolate them and quarantine them and go that, go that route too. So get on those programs that are available as early as possible. Um, for a commercial man, when they're first starting out, your your ewe flock is the most important thing that you want to work with, I think. Um, get your maternal flock doing what you want it to do first. So if you're if you're going to spend money on rams, then you spend ram, money on maternal rams. Um, and Paul Loomis gave a talk five or six years ago um, at... Uh, Mount Forest Sheep Day, I believe it was, talking about F1 females in commercial flocks. Uh, and it was an excellent talk, and I'd like to see it reproduced again at some point, um, saying that a lot of commercial people were, were missing the boat because they weren't utilizing um, F1 females. And uh, he he gave all of the advantages to doing that, and, and I thought it was an excellent talk. And... Uh, that's where, if you're starting your commercial flock, you want, I think you want to focus on. Get your commercial use where you want them to be, and, and then you can start to uh, look at uh, bringing in terminal sires and uh, hopefully be able to produce then pretty much the, the ideal market land for the market that you're trying to fill. And, and we do have different markets in this province, so we're very fortunate that way that you can produce new crop lambs, light lambs, heavy lambs, um, lambs for the Muslim market, lambs, um, heavier lambs. So we've, we've got different options and, and, and that's one of the great pluses of the industry in this province. Um, but have a good, the other thing is, I think when you're getting started, there are um, computer management programs out there now that are available and uh, that tie in very nicely with Genovis. And uh, when you've got a flock of maybe 50 ewes or maybe even up to 100, you can, you can, you can do that with uh, Excel or, or some kind of a book. But once your numbers start to get over that, it's pretty easy to lose track of, of uh, some of the animals in your flock. So you pretty much need a management program um, to be able to identify those ones that are coasting in your flock. Um, it's it's fairly easy to identify your best use, um, but if you can call out uh, that bottom 10% every year, 
um, your flock is going to make some some amazing improvements fairly quickly. And and uh, once you get three, four hundred or higher, five, six hundred, uh, you pretty much need something like that to be able to identify those ewes that are, are not being productive and need to go down the road. So those are some things I would suggest people should look at. Well, thank you, Ted, for taking the time today to share your business with us. It's been a great conversation and uh, certainly a lot for our producers to think about. And thank you for listening. Oh, you're more than welcome. And thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this education episode. Join us next Wednesday for our interview with Patrick Gossage from First Green Energy, talking about all things solar grazing. Hey, Tom, what you been working on? Recently, we've been planning for uh, some upcoming farm shows and uh, producer education um, initiatives, such as Grey Bruce Farmers Week, Canada Outdoor Farm Show, International Plowing Match, as well as the London and Ottawa Valley Farm Shows that we hope to attend in 2024. In the last few weeks, we've certainly updated our OSF sponsorship and advertising packages that will be going out in early December and uh, hope to have a number of new and returning sponsors to help us run programs and um, producer materials for our membership. So Aaron, what's new? The OSF board will make an investment in developing a new website for the Sheep Institute in 2024. The priority for the website is to catalog the research results from the past 20 years, making them available to the board and the membership to inform future projects and support on-farm decision-making. The website will also include existing educational materials, all of the modules of the Master Shepherds course available individually, and thousands of resources, articles, webinar recordings, podcast episodes, and videos from the archives that are all still relevant today. And if you enjoyed our podcast, please subscribe through your podcast app to receive alerts for future episodes, and please share our podcast with your friends. For more Ontario Sheep Farmers content, follow us on social media at Ontario Sheep Farmers on Instagram and Facebook, and at Ontario Sheep on X, formerly Twitter, and visit our website at OntarioSheep.org.